And Matthew 16:24 is our signature series of this series, and it comes from this. Jesus called his disciples, and we are disciples of his if we choose to answer the call. And he called them simply in the very beginning to follow him. And so that's the title of the series. And in it, um, it's so easy this morning. To, there's so many different directions. I, I'm so, my heart's so full to go off into, but we can't do that. We've really got to move this along. And Jesus, all he did, the simplicity of what he called us to do is to simply come, follow me. So we can't follow him by staying where we are. We have to come with him to follow him. I know that seems very basic, but it's very profound. And the simplicity of that, we talked about that in the very beginning. Because there are many good things we could be doing, many confusing things, many wonderful things being taught out there, but it's all got to come down to one simple thing, what Jesus has called us to do. And it starts with this foundational call, which is personally to each one of us, you, come and follow me. Not follow a program, not join a church, not come to some movement, but it's a personal act of following Him. That's how it begins, and that's how it must end, and that's every step in the middle. And many of us started out following Him, but we get distracted. We get distracted by the issues of life. We get distracted by all kinds of things we may hear, what we should be doing or not doing. But the simplicity is, Jesus personally, from out of eternity, spoke to you. Whether it was on a television program, whether it was in private, in your, whether it was through music, He personally spoke to you, or you wouldn't be here, and said, you, come Follow me. We need to remember that and go back over that because Jesus told His disciples in John 15, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And He knew what He got when He chose you. He, he, you didn't fool Him. He knew what He got when He chose you. But He didn't choose you because of who you are or what you could bring. He chose you because of what He could do in you, for you, and through you. And so God wants to present us in eternity not as trophies of what we could do with what He gave us, but He wants to present us as trophies of what He could do with what we gave Him. I think I will say that again. He didn't choose us because of so because the, the Bible says he's going to present us as trophies to the angels. And he's not going to present you as trophies of how well you did with what he gave you. He's going to present you as a trophy of how well he did with what you gave him. Of what his love and his grace could do with the mess that you and I all brought to him. And then He gets all the glory. God wants to prove to all eternity, not how powerful He is, but what His love, how His love will transform us. I got a text message from Pastor Sam Smucker this morning. He's just greeting us, encouraging me. He says, Pat, John, don't forget that the Word of God 
is what transforms lives. And that's exactly right. It's God's Word that transforms lives, which is why we endeavor as best we know how here to teach God's Word, not man's ideas, not my ideas, not your ideas, not the latest fad, to teach out of God's Word. This is why we put the Scriptures up there, and we're going to see a bunch of Scriptures today if I ever get into them. All right. (laughs) Praise the Lord. So we've looked at what it means, and then Jesus put that scripture back up. So then Jesus started out by saying, follow me, and then later on down the road, he gives them another chance. He said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, here's what you've got to do. Number one, you've got to deny yourself, and number two, you've got to take up your cross and follow me. We spent some time looking at what it means to deny ourselves. It doesn't mean that you don't exist. It doesn't mean that you lose your personality. What it means is you deny yourself the right to act, decide, speak, and see things including yourself, as if you're separate from Christ, as if you're your own individual. When you came to Christ, you were joined to Him. And if we're joined to Him, whatever He is, we are. However He sees people, we see them. So we no longer can have a relationship with this world and with one another as if we were or had our own separate existence. If you're a Christian, your existence is only in Christ. In Him we live and move and have our being. In Him we are new creations in Christ. You are the righteousness of God because you are in Christ who is the righteousness of God. So whatever He is, we are because we're in Him, but the temptation is to live our lives as if we're separate, so I react to you based on what I want to do. I can't do that if I'm a Christian. So I have to deny myself the right to see others as if I'm an individual and have a right to evaluate them. I can only see them how Christ sees them. And that's going to become more clear as we go along. And then we moved on to the one we're talking about now, and we're to take up His cross and follow me. That doesn't sound too exciting. It sounds even worse than denying yourself. But what we began to see, and this is what we're looking at, what does it mean to take up our cross? Well, Jesus, we're following Him. And every this was going through off in me during the, the worship time. To keep reminding us, that everything we're learning, everything we're called to do is only a consequence of following Him. Because otherwise they become good things to do. Otherwise it's a good thing, you know, it's a good spiritual thing to deny myself. But if you deny yourself apart from following Him, then that's no different than Eastern religions. The reason we deny ourselves is because He denied Himself. To follow Him, we've got to do what He did. We've got to act like He acts. We've got to talk the way He talks if we're going to follow Him. And the closer you follow Him, the more you will talk like He does, act like He does, think like He does, and love like He does. And what did He do? What did He do? He came here as the sinless Son of God, humbled Himself and took on the flesh of a man, And then that sinless Son of God endured us, man, for 33 33 and a half years. He put up with all kinds of stuff. And then the ultimate thing is He laid His life down, and He took a sinless lamb, took upon Himself all of our sin on Himself, and paid the price for our sin, the innocent one, so that the guilty ones could be set free from their guilt and from their shame. And then He gave them, all of us, the righteousness that He earned, the righteousness He deserved. He freely gave it to the undeserving ones that He died and paid for that they may receive it. 
And therefore, everything we do is to follow Him. As we follow Him, that's what He's calling us to do. And that's what taking up the cross means. Notice we talked about it, it says, we're to take up our cross. My cross, the way that's walked out in my life, may well be different than the way it's walked out in your life. So we're not literally going to be nailed to a cross, although that could happen. It has happened to some. But we're looking at now, how do we apply that? It's a nice thing to sing about in church. It's a nice thing to read our Bibles and get inspired by the Spirit inside. But the reality of how we begin to do that is when we, well, sometimes before we even walk out of here, it's in our relationships with each other. Because we can stand in church with tears running down our cheeks. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. But the measure of my love for Him is my relationship with you. Because Jesus reduced it down to two commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your might, with all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You can't love God if we're not walking in love with one another. So the, the, and God has put us in a community together. That community includes our family. That community includes our church family together. So that when, because we're human, because none of us are perfect, because we still have a soul that's got selfishness in it, we bump into each other. Now, don't look at me like you're that holy. <laughs> like you don't know what I'm talking about. We offend each other. We hurt each other. We say things that are off the top of our head we should never have said. And sometimes we do it on purpose because we've been holding a grudge for years. That's why some of you sit on one side of the church and some on the other side of the church. I'm not looking at anybody. I have no one in mind. God knows and you know. All right. Praise the Lord. And so we began to look at, so what we're called to do is to bear this cross. The cross, part of what we're called to do is to bear the sins of others, just as Jesus did. And the sins of others are, the first of all, what they've done to us. So we looked last week at the first, the very basic beginning of what it means to take up our cross in relationship to each other is forgiveness. That's the, that's the baby step. So I'm going to review a little bit because although it's the baby step, most of us are still stumbling over it. So what is forgiveness? It's what He did for us. The sinless one, the one who deserved no hurt, no harm, was hurt by us. We offended him. The fact, Romans chapter 5 said we became his enemy. And I'm sure none of you were out there angry at God, but we became his enemy because we first of all did not consider him as the source of our life. We thought we were independent. It's my life. I can do what I want. I can go to church if I want or not go to church if I want. This community around us, the community that I live in, is filled with people who are exercising their independence to not go to church this morning. And in God's eyes, that's an offense because they're not acknowledging that everything they are and have has come from Him. And that's where we've all come from. So we have no right to look down our nose at our neighbors as if I'm going to church and they're not. There are areas of our life where we're doing the same thing. Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2 will tell you that. And He bore that for us so that we could be freed and forgiven. So when we look last week as the very threshold of, of taking up our cross and our relationships with other people, taking up our cross is forgiving people that have hurt us or harmed us, whether accidentally or on purpose. 
Because when you forgive somebody, you're, 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 see, this, there's something built into our human fallen nature which we want justice, unless, of course, it has to do with me. I want justice when it comes to you getting justice. And so what justice means, you get what you deserve. And Jesus talked about that. He said, you've heard, it's an eye and an eye and a tooth for a tooth, which is justice. You did something to me, it ought to happen to you. So when we refuse to forgive somebody, we're holding on to what they've done to us because we don't want to release them from it because we think they ought to pay for what they've done for us. And so when I take up my cross with you and forgive you when you've hurt me or you've said things about me, I'm going to pastor, well, I'm going to go there the things that have been said about me out there. That's why I don't look at social media. Because I want to walk in love and I don't want to give opportunities to not do that. So when we forgive, what I'm doing is I'm willing to bear the pain of what you did to me and when I forgive you, I release you from it. We use the example of my trash bag somebody throwing trash at me because they're carrying trash in their life. And what I'm willing to do in forgiving is I'll take the trash bag off of your hands and I'll bear it for you so that you can be free. That's the threshold for taking up our cross. That's the baby step for taking up our cross. And we looked at uh, in Matthew... Uh, let's go quickly to Matthew chapter 5. Well, I'm, I'm not going to rush through this. Matthew chapter 5, this is Jesus' foundational teaching to His disciples on what it means to be a Christian. This is the foundational stuff. Matthew 5, 43, I just quoted part of it. You heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. We're supposed to do that. Why? that you may be sons of your Father. In other words, act like your Father, because that's what He's done with us. If you didn't spitefully use Him, you at least were His enemy. We disregarded Him, disrespected Him, and He loved us. So when we forgive our enemies, when we forgive those that have hurt us, we're acting like who we really are if we're a Christian. We're following Jesus. Romans 12, we ended with these last time. Romans 12, verses 17 through 21. Repay no one evil for evil. No one. No one. In my Bible, there is not a little footnote there that says, except for. The Greek word for no one means no one. Well, you're Greek scholars. That's good. Pray no one evil for evil. But see, when we refuse to forgive, listen to what we're doing. When we refuse to forgive, what I'm saying is, I want you to experience the pain or some of that I'm going through. And isn't that repaying evil with evil? Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Keep going. 
if it's possible, sometimes it's not, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. There are people out there that have been mad at me, but I'm not mad at them. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm living peaceably with them. Verse 20. Oh, okay. No, 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 go back. I got ahead. Beloved, do not avenge yourself. And, and when we refuse to forgive, we're avenging ourselves. See, avenging yourself doesn't mean you post nasty things on Facebook about them, although that is doing that. But you can avenge yourself without ever opening your mouth or doing or saying anything by holding something against somebody. You're doing that to avenge yourself, to get back at them. But rather give place to wrath. That doesn't mean let it loose. That means, look at this, for it is written, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Getting back at people is not your business or my business. It's God's business. Therefore, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. If, you, if you've got somebody that you're having trouble forgiving him, do something generous for them. Buy them a present. Bake a pie or cake as long as you're good at it. <laughs> if he's thirsty, give him a drink. This is what God does for us. He, he, if we kept on reading in Matthew, he, he gives the rain to the just and the unjust. The sun comes up on those that hate Him and those that love Him. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on their head. Verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil. When we refuse to forgive, we're allowing their evil to overcome us and Satan wins. But overcome evil with good. And this is where we end up last week. The most powerful force in the universe is God's love, the God kind of love. It, this, you're living examples of it. How many of you lives have been changed and transformed since you came to Christ? It's His love for you that did that. That's the baby step. Again, these are not just good things to do. These are not just things we ought to do. They are, but it's far more than that. This is what it requires to follow Him because this is what He's done. This is what He does on an ongoing basis. To follow Him, we have to go where He goes and do what He does and He brings this kind of love wherever He goes. There's a... I just can't get off of it. There was a picture a number of years ago. There was a huge rally in, in Atlanta, Georgia. A gay rights rally. It was a rally. It may have been a rally, but it was a rally. Make the news, and there were a whole bunch of Christians on one side protesting with signs and things like that. And of course, that's where the news focused. But on the other side of this rally, there was some church. There's a church that just went out among them and just started talking to them and just started bringing God's love to them. That didn't make the news. But that's where Christ was. He wasn't with the protesters. Now, God hates sin, but He loves sinners. He loves people. He's about people. He's about people. We, we get more upset about issues than He, gets, than he is, and God love, issues get in the way of our loving people. There's a time for right and wrong, that's true. But it ought to begin with us first. Huh. He without sin, let him pick up the first... You know what that verse says. 
So it just a, it's just a consequence of following Him. So if we're going to follow Him, we don't have the option. I don't have the option of forgiving you. That's not an option. This is my commandment. Commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. That's the baby step. I'm trying to get off the baby step this morning, but it's hard because that's where most of us are still struggling with that first... mm. So let's go to the next level or else we'll stay there. The second issue, the second way we pick up our cross in our relationship with each other is to recognize that the way we conduct our lives has an effect on each other. There's an old expression, no man's an island himself. But that's where so many Christians are. I used to talk, I've talked about this ad nauseum. That, that, you know, we look out there and it's just, our concept is we've got like five or six hundred individuals that come here on a Sunday morning, spend some time blessing one another, listening to the Word, drink a cup of coffee now, and then five or six hundred individuals leave. That's not the body of Christ. Your 40 million cells didn't walk in here separately today in your body. They came together and they work together and they're related together. So the way we live our lives affects one another. And therefore, because we're one body, our body, our conduct has an effect on each other. The example that Paul uses is our human body. I love it because that's something we all have one of. Anybody here without a body, we have an extra one in the, in, in the usher's closet. We'll give you one if you need one. You know, people forget, you forget your Bible. You know, if you forgot your body, we got an extra one. It's an, it's somebody left it here, so it's probably dead, but you might want it. So. so we all know what a body's like. You all dressed it this morning, hopefully cleaned it up, you know, and you brushed your teeth or did things to it, and different parts of your body work together to do it. Work together, work together, work together in harmony, work together, work together because the different parts of your body don't see themselves as separate. They see themselves as your body. And we're called the body of Christ and that's not a symbolic image. That is the reality of who we are. And as we begin to see ourselves as His body, not faith Christian center, as His body, then we'll begin to respond and relate to one another based on how we respond and relate to Christ. Because when I see you, I see Christ. You may not be acting like Him, but that's who you are. I may not be acting like Him, but that's who I am. So we're going to begin to look at some scriptures this morning. First. Corinthians 8. And I'll give you some background to the issue here. First Corinthians 8. This letter of 1 Corinthians was written by Paul to the church at Corinth, obviously, and is in response to some issues. The basic issue was they were in strife. There were factions, there were groups that wouldn't talk to one another when they had the Lord's table together when they celebrated communion. They sat in their own separate groups. They would bring food and not give it to other people. It was, it was a mess because of how they saw each other. So Paul is writing this letter in large part to awaken them to who they are together. And he deals with some separate issues. Now one of them 
is, we're going to look at verse 1. Now concerning things offered to idols. Now stop there. I want to explain what the issue is. Because it's, it's hard for us to quite understand this, although in some ways we're doing the same thing. Corinth was in Greece. Uh, actually down in Achaia, which is the part, part of what we call Greece today. And, and it was a very, uh, a, a very pagan society. And they had a temple. I think it's played the Temple of Diana there, if I remember correctly. They had a major temple. And so these were Gentiles. These were Greeks that used to go to the temple, the, 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 the temple of Diana to worship the god Diana, who obviously doesn't exist. All right? And they believed in her. And part of the worship was they would slaughter animals, they would drink their blood, and then afterwards they would eat the animal as a part of their fellowship of the animal, of sharing in the sacrifice together. So their practice is they would go to the temple, an animal would be slaughtered, and they would have a barbecue, except it wasn't the purpose of it, wasn't to have a barbecue together. The purpose of it, and obviously that's... The purpose of it was they would share that meat together and share that blood together, representing that they were one together with the goddess Diana. That's where they've come from. So one of the issues of that day, now that they're saved and realize the truth, when they go to the supermarket, and they didn't have supermarkets back then, when they go to the meat market and they buy a slab of beef, do I have to find out whether that beef was slaughtered at the temple last night or not? Because I might be eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. Everybody with me so far? That's the background. It's important to understand it. Now, we may not have that issue today, but the issues behind it is why we're going to look at it. Now, concerning things offered to idols, because this was a question they had. Can we, do we need, when we sit down at a brother's house to have, have a barbecue, do I need to inquire where he got the meat from? That's basically what he's saying. All right. Now, look what Paul says. We know that we have all knowledge... So what Paul's talking about, he says, I have a, he's going to talk here about the difference between the spiritual maturity that really understands the real issues here and those that are kind of new at it and they haven't figured this out yet. So he's going to talk about knowledge here. We know that we all have knowledge. In other words, what he's going to say in the verses following is that, look, I know it doesn't matter where the meat came from because I'm not worshiping that, I'm not worshiping some God by eating the meat that came from them. And in his letter to Timothy, he says, when we give thanks, this is why we have grace. When we give thanks, we're sanctifying that meat because we're acknowledging by giving thanks it came from God. If it came from God, I don't care where it was slaughtered. Well, I'm, you might, sanitary reasons, you might. But for spiritual reasons, it doesn't matter. Because by giving thanks to God for it, I'm acknowledging He's the source of it to me, not Joe's slaughterhouse that's next to the temple, Diana. Everybody follow me so far? But he's saying, not all have that knowledge. And here's, this is a so powerful verse. He says, knowledge puffs up. There are people in the church that, that and we look down our nose at other people because we know more than they do. Like getting in my car Sunday morning and driving past my neighbor and saying, I'm going to church and you're not. I know something you don't know. Here's the danger. Knowledge alone puffs up. You know what puffing up means? It takes something small and it fills it up with air. You know these, what do they call them? 
the, the, the muffins that get puffed up? Popovers. Every bite of it. This big popover, you go, it's just air inside. And that's what knowledge does alone. It takes the little bit of grace we have and it blows it up to make it look bigger on the outside, but it's just hot air on the inside. That's why pride, the, the symbol for pride in the Bible is yeast, leaven. Because what is, leaven doesn't add any nutrients to it. Leaven doesn't make it any better. Leaven just takes what's there and fills it up with air. Makes it look bigger. That's what pride does. Pride makes you look bigger on the outside, but you're just filled up with hot air. Not, but love edifies. It builds up. It strengthens. And we're called, because we're part of the same body, to edify one another. Now concerning things offered to idol. Okay, verse 2. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing, yet as he is known. In other words, when you really think you're hot stuff, you don't really know yourself as God knows you. So you begin to see yourself as God sees you. You're more valuable than you may think you are, but you're less valuable than you may think you are. Think, not think of yourself more highly as you are, Romans says. Okay, verse 3. But if anyone loves God, he's known by him. Notice what draws God to us is what we know is our loving Him. And you can't love Him unless you're loving one another. All right, let's keep going. Verse 4. Therefore, concerning the thing, that's the basic principle. Therefore, concerning the things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in this world, that there's no other God but one. So what Paul's saying here is, look, I know that there's no such thing as, an, as the goddess Diana. I know there's an idol's not really a god. I know that. All right? Even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or earth, as there are many gods and many lords, this is what some people believe, verse 6. Keep going. Yet for us, there's only one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we are for Him, one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. So Paul's reminding them, there's only one God, and who we are, we only exist because of Him, and through Him, and we only live for Him. So I know there's only one God. So I have that knowledge. And those of you that have been around a lot and have been mature, you have that same knowledge. However, verse 7 says, not everyone has that knowledge. For some, with the consciousness of an idol. So he's talking here about people that have recently gotten saved, and they still have this understanding that that meat was offered to an idol, and if I partake of it, I'm partaking of a fellowship with the goddess Diana. So I have a concern about that. So he's saying, there is not in everyone that knowledge for some with consciousness of the idol until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol and therefore their conscience being weak is defiled. So for them to eat meat that's offered to it, that came from a, a, the temple defiles their conscience because it pricks their conscience. It's wrong. There's a whole teaching here we don't have time to get into that most Christians don't understand. God said and it was prophesied for the church that I would take out of your heart a heart of stone which is where the Ten Commandments were written in the Old Testament. They were written on tablets of stone. I'll take those law, cold laws written in stone out of your heart and I'm going to put a new heart in you and I'm going to write my laws on your heart. So for a Christian, the law that we live by, of course, is God's Word, but it's the law of our conscience. 
So what Paul's teaching here is sin is when I violate that prompting in me, that's my conscience. Now as I grow in the Lord and grow in knowledge, what my conscience is bothered over will change because now I understand that this piece of barbecue doesn't matter where it comes from because now I understand what I just taught you because we gave thanks for it where acknowledging came from God. So my conscience isn't bothered by whether this meat was offered in the temple Diana, Paul says, or it was offered, you know, from Joe's butcher shop. It doesn't matter to me because I know that there is no God. But some of you don't on that understanding have not grown there yet. So when you eat this meat, that memory of what that could be is pricking your conscience. That's what he's saying here. For food does not commend us to God. No, what we eat or don't eat doesn't have anything to do before God. Now, he's not talking about eating healthy. It has nothing to do. He's talking about a spiritual principle here. For neither if we eat are we better, nor if we don't eat are we worse. So Paul's saying, because you know, you can get people in church, well, I don't eat meat, a sacrifice to idols, and you do. It's not whether you eat the meat or don't eat the meat. It's your conscience, it's what it means to you, the spiritual significance that's important. So we've got to move on. But beware, now here's the principle. This is what we've been leading up to. This is the next level of taking up my cross. Beware lest somehow this liberty of yours, that I can eat whatever the meat, wherever it comes from, becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. Stop there. Pastor Ray quoted a scripture at the end of worship, which is right on, that, 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 that in Christ we have a liberty all right? But Galatians goes on to say, but do not use that liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Many people are out there listening to the message of grace, which is right on, but they think that grace gives us a license to do what we don't do. Read Romans 6. We have a responsibility, not just to God, but we have a responsibility to each other to live our lives in such a way as to not encourage others to violate their conscience. Be let, we'll go back, stay there. Verse 9. Go back to verse 9. Beware lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. Now verse 10. For if anyone sees you who have this knowledge that it's okay to eat meat regardless of where it came from. Eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? Verse 11. Excuse me. And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. That's a powerful statement. So Paul's saying, I have a responsibility to you to govern my liberty, use my liberty not for my benefit, but to make sure in the exercise of my liberty, I'm not somehow encouraging you to violate your conscience. Let's go on. Because notice, if you violate your conscience, it's sin. And I've encouraged you to sin, even though the issue itself, I'm right. So, So in God's eyes, whether we're right or not is not as important as whether we're walking in love towards one another. For when you thus sin against your brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against... Whoa! So how we relate to each other... Remember I told you early on in this, this is not about whether we get along with one another. That's kindergarten. 
We're only on the second step. We've got a third step next week. When you thus sin against your brethren by living your wife in a way that encourages them to do something that violates their conscience, you have wounded their weak conscience and you thus sinned against Christ who died for them. Verse 13. Therefore, this is what Paul does. This is what we're getting. If food makes my brother stumble, I'll never eat meat again. Not because he's a vegan or a vegetarian. It has nothing to do with the food. He's trying to make that point clear. It has to do with what I do affects you, so I will govern my conduct not by what I think I'm entitled to do, but how my life will influence and affect yours, lest I make my brother stumble. That's walking in another level of love than just forgiving. Because why should I let... I mean, I'm walking in this liberty. Why should I curtail my liberty just because you haven't learned something? That's focused on me and my rights. What if Jesus said that? Why should I die for you when you haven't learned some of the basic stuff? But He died for us while we were all yet sinners. Now let me kind of give you an example of what this would like. Suppose... Suppose one of you is a new Christian and, you, um, and, and you've had a challenge with alcohol in the past. All right? Because I heard people say, well, is it okay for Christians to, to drink alcohol or not? I'm not addressing that issue this morning because that's not the issue. See, the devil wants us to get focused on what I do or don't do because when we're doing that, I'm not focused on whether I'm walking in love towards you. But imagine if I thought it was okay in the privacy of my home to have a beer. I don't, but I'm just saying, because I don't want any of you to think of that. I don't. I don't do that. But just suppose I did, okay? And you're driving down Route 6 after church, and you see me coming out of that package store on Route 6 with a six-pack in my hand. What would that do to you? Well, Pastor John can do it. I guess it's okay. See how we affect one another? Even, even in our conversations about walking in love, about forgiving, somebody says, do you know what such and such says? Now, you've got a choice. Am I going to walk in love towards that person that they're talking about? Or am I going to join in this conversation? Because if I join in the conversation, I'm now encouraging them to continue gossip, which is sin. So it's not even whether you're drinking a beer or not. It's how we conduct our voice, how we, what we talk about. It work. Do you join in the jokes that they joke? So what we do affects others. We're just like Christians at this point. So to take up my cross involves not just forgiving you, but now I've got to be willing to curtail my liberty in a way that helps you grow and edifies you in your walk with Christ. Let's go to Romans chapter 14. Oh, Lord. Romans 14. 
I'm showing you this because this is what the Word says. Verse 1. Receive, oh boy, we're not going to be able to go through it. Receive one who's weak in faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. There's somebody that hasn't matured as much as you may know, may not know as much of the Word as you know, and he says, don't get in disputes with them. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eat only vegetables. Not because he's a vegetarian or a vegan, but because he thinks there's something spiritually wrong with eating meat, because it may be meat sacrificed to idols. Verse 3. Let, him who eats to, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. Let not him who does not eat despise him who eats, for God has received him. Verse 4. Who are you to judge another man's servant? I can't tell you the times I've gone back to this verse. To his own master he stands or fall. Indeed, he, may, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Verse 5. One person esteems... A, this is another issue now. Do you worship on Sunday or do you worship on Saturday? One person esteems one day above another, and another esteems every day alike. Let each of you be fully convinced in his own mind. Verse 6. For he who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day... To the Lord, He does not observe it. So what doesn't matter is what day you're observing. The mat- now, by the way, we only have church here on Sunday, though. We don't have it on Saturday. Just so, if, so if you want to be here in church on time, come on Sunday, not Saturday. But it's... Okay. I just want to make sure... That, okay. He said, the point is here is not whether you got the right day or not. Who are you doing it unto? Who are you doing it for? See, there are many times we're doing things that are good Christian things to do, but we're not doing it for the Lord. We're doing it so I feel good about myself. To the Lord he does not observe. Verse, he who eats, eats to the Lord, he who gives thanks and gives thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. Verse 8. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, the whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. We are his body together. Verse 10. We're going to have to move through this. So why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Verse 11. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess to God. Verse 12. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Verse 13. Therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this not to put a stumbling block or cause to fall in a brother's way. Stop there a second. Wow! What a difference this church would be like if we just did that. Because the devil's sitting on your shoulder pointing weaknesses out, at least weaknesses in your eyes, that people around you have. I have to battle this, not particularly with you, but when it gets to the world, because I was raised in a family where it was very critical of others. I still hear voices in the back of my head of things I heard growing up. And I've had to learn, to learn, and I'm learning to see people through Christ and not as I see them. Let us not judge one another, but rather resolve this. So it's a decision we have to make of our will, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Okay, verse 14. I know and convinced by the Lord that there's nothing unclean in itself. Now, he's not talking about unhealthy, but in terms of spiritually unclean. But to him who considers it to be unclean, to him it is unclean. There's that conscience issue again. 
Verse 16. Oh, but, 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 no, verse 15. But, 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 I got ahead of you. You got ahead of me. Yet, yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Verse 16. Therefore do not let your good be spoken of as evil. Verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. In other words, it's not about whether you can eat or not eat it. Those are issues that has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. But it's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Verse 18. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Verse 19. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify, build up, encourage, help one another. Verse 20. No. Verse 20. Do not destroy for the work of God, for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it's evil for the man who eats it with offense. Verse 21. It's neither good to eat meat or drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Quiet. It's quiet. This is step two. And the church, so much of the church is still stumbling over the first step. And we're wondering why we're not seeing an outpouring of the Spirit. We're wondering why we're not sensing things and seeing God's Word come about in church the way it did in days of old. Because Acts chapter 2, they were all together in one accord. They, they, they sold their possessions. And I'm not saying that's what this means we have to do. But they gave up whatever their personal needs were so that everybody else's needs could be taken care of. They lived together as a community. It doesn't mean we all have to sell our houses and all move in here. Please don't. <laughs> but we have to live our lives as if we're willing to. So there was this communal atmosphere. And it can get off track. But there was an atmosphere. But it was out of a sincere love for one another and recognition that they were Christ's body on the earth together. And so they would, not, they, they would govern their lives by what's best for each other, not what's best for themselves. And in that atmosphere, the Spirit of God was able to be poured out. I said to you last week that if God poured His Spirit out with all His power and glory in most churches, and includes this one at this point, it would destroy us because it's like handing a loaded gun to a four-year-old who doesn't understand the power of that gun. Not that it's to destroy, but look at Acts chapter 5 or 6, when Ananias and Sapphira. See, John Bevere preached this here once. He says, we want to have the presence of God and we sing about it and we want that because you continue to long for it. But there's another side to the presence of God, the manifest presence of God, and that's His holiness. Because Jesus talked about we'll be filled with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The fire burns out impurities. It doesn't destroy us. It destroys the impurities that are in our lives. And most of those impurities are in our heart, not so much in our flesh. 
And so when we come, to, in order for us to, to be at a place where God can do what He wants to do, God's calling us to learn to live, do, live life together. But because we're following Him, and you and I are in the one we're following together. So when I came here this morning, my body lived life together. My feet, my hands, my head, my toes, we did life together because we're all one body moving together in the same direction. And as we're called to answer His call to follow me, we're going to have to do this together with one another and with Him. There's one more part to this section, but we don't have time to do that because I'd have to rush through it and I don't want to do that. So we're going to pick up here next week with the last part of this number two section. So the first way we, the baby step of how we take up our cross in our relationships with one another is we take up our cross by forgiveness. That's the baby step. Then, secondly, we begin to govern our lives and our freedoms based on how they affect others and not so much with what I have a right to be able to do. And next week we'll end this section by looking at Jesus as our example of doing that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that you love us so much that you speak to us. You know where we are personally, each one of us. You know where we are as a congregation. I know that because in the book of Revelation, you gave a report card, Jesus, to seven churches in Asia Minor. And you know where Faith Christian Center is. Not our building, not our stage, not the new cafe. Those are not important to you except for what they do with us. But you know where we are in our walk with you, in our walk with each other. And you're not angry, but you're speaking to us so that we who have ears to hear may hear what the Spirit is saying to us. Father, you do this because you love us. You know our weaknesses. You know our struggles. You know, you know all of that before you ever called us to follow Jesus. And so receive this, Lord. Help us to receive this in the spirit of love with which you're speaking to us. Father, if there's people in our hearts we're still having trouble forgiving, strengthen us. Show us something this week to do that we can overcome and break the power of that unforgiveness. And begin to open our eyes, Father, to the needs of others around us, so just even in the, 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 the sense of how our lives are impacting and affecting others and how the lives of others impact and affect us. We can only do this through the grace and power of the Holy Spirit. And it's to Him I plead in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We're going to close the service in just a moment with some...